Well, so I also have a couple daughters. I have a, we have a seven-year-old and a youngest daughter who turns four this Saturday. She's very excited. She gets a dinosaur party. And they right now love to snuggle with daddy. Literally a couple days ago, I was at home finishing up my sermon. I'm on the couch and both of them went right into my arms. They're like tucked themselves under my neck and they are nuzzling. And I imagine that lasts until they're like 18, 19. So here they are, and they're just so cute and cuddly. And because they're so cute and cuddly, and I know it's not going to last forever, I'll tell them, okay, girls, no more growing. Daddy, I have to grow. No, 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 no. No more growing. I say, okay, Penelope, four and no more. You can turn four, but that's it. No, Daddy. All right, Genevieve, seven. All right, I'll give you eight, nine. Daddy, then I have to turn 10 and then 11, and she'll... She literally walks all the way up. Daddy, we have to grow. They're not wrong. Living things grow. That's what living things do. And a few weeks ago, we heard a profound truth from the Apostle Paul in the Philippians 1, verse 21, which is to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul, why? How can that be? Why is that? Because Jesus is life. He doesn't just give life. He doesn't impart life. He doesn't just grant life. He does all those things and more because Jesus is life. That's why Jesus says in John 15 that apart from the vine, you can do nothing. You will be a shriveled up, dead, withering branch The branch can do nothing apart from the life source, apart from the vine, but abide in Jesus, he says, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. We all have seasons where we go through spiritual stagnancy. We hit a plateau, we hit a ceiling, we're just like, man, we're just not growing in the Lord like we want to or like we should. I've had like two or three of these seasons this year alone. Maybe it's over a course of weeks or months. Out of vulnerability, as a church family, show of hands, how many of you have ever been spiritually stagnant? Look around. Keep them up. Look around. Almost everybody. And those who did not raise their hand have a serious problem with lying. (laughs) Spiritual stagnancy happens, and it happens for a season, but it should not be the norm. And this is where the habits of grace come in. We got a good definition from Pastor Steve last week, which is this on the screen. Habits of grace are God-ordained channels of his transforming power into our lives to grow our character into the likeness of Christ. So think of these as a means to an end. The end, the end goal is knowing God more, knowing and growing in Jesus, knowing God more in the context of our relationship with him by grace. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. This is not rhetorical. I I literally want to hear some feedback. What are the means that we have to grow in our relationship with our spouse? Shout it out. The Bible? Bible? Okay, so spend time every day with your spouse in the Word. Someone else? Praying Praying together. Couples that pray together, stay together. together. What else? Date night. Date night says from my wife. (laughs) We just had a date night a couple nights ago. If you're not having regular date nights, man, date, date your spouse. It's good. Spend time together, quality time together. We could talk about nightly conversations. 
We could talk about physical affection. We could talk about listening. Guys, listening to our spouse. We could talk about words of affection, words of encouragement. We can go on and on. Now, careful. Careful. Because it's so easy to make these habits of works. I mean, what if I treated my relationship with my wife as one big checklist? Okay, Sky, you get five minutes of conversation and go. Time's up. Or if I said, all right, you are, you are allotted three kisses every day. That's your quota. Nothing more, nothing less. She'd probably be like, all right, three kisses, yes. <laughs> but that's it. Only three kisses, sorry, nothing more. That sounds ridiculous, right? You can't make your relationship with your spouse a big checklist, and yet we so easily slip into doing that with the Lord. Well, I read my Bible today, check. I prayed today, check. I went to church today, check. These are means to an end. It's all about knowing and enjoying God. That's the end goal. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 8, he spoke of the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So this worth of knowing Jesus surpasses literally everything else that claims to have worth in our life and in this universe. It's their surpassing worth of just knowing Jesus. We want to know and love Jesus more and more and help others do the same. And these habits of grace are a means to that end. Because the reality is, the more you know someone, the more you love them. And the more you love someone, the more you are willing to live for them. And this is a crucial distinction, church family. If you don't grasp this, this teaching series could and possibly will take you down a path of legalism or shame or works-based righteousness. Your heart motive is crucial in this. See, we want spiritual growth, but spiritual growth cannot and should not be the goal. It's a byproduct The goal is knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, growing in Jesus, seeing and savoring Jesus, beholding him. So these are the habits of grace, but they're the habits of grace. Wayne Grudem defines grace as God's unmerited favor and goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. So God allows us to grow in him and bear fruit in him, not because of anything we do think or say, not because of anything we've done to earn that, but because God in his very nature is gracious and giving. He's a giving God. He gives and gives and gives, and he gives us the means of grace to know him more. So turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 in your Bibles or on your phones, in your Bible apps, One of the distinct characteristics of Paul's writings in his letters is he used prepositions often, specifically for Jesus, with Jesus. So let's, adults, let's travel back in time. You remember English grammar class? Or students, if you're in here, you can probably help us out. You remember what what prepositions were? A preposition is a word that expresses how one noun is in relation to another noun. So how one thing relates to another thing. So it's words like, under, over, across, through, beside. And Paul uses these words constantly in conjunction with Jesus. Paul says that because of Jesus, we are followers of Christ, and we are with Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, under Jesus, in Jesus. 
As believers, our lives are all wrapped up in Jesus, intertwined with Jesus, only possible through Jesus. You might be saying that he is saying it's all about Jesus. We've heard that somewhere. When you place trust in Jesus, you are in Jesus. Your identity is fully entrenched in him. You are united with him. Therefore, as he is, so you are and so you will be. We get to be seated with Jesus, reigning with him forever. That's your status now and forever as Christ followers. Through Jesus, we are dead to our old self. In Jesus, we are new. We are alive fully and eternally in Jesus. So why, Paul says, why then would we fixate on the things of this world? Put those old appetites to death. Put that old self, that old self, the old you, the old Jared, the old you is crucified on the cross with Jesus. That was the old you. That's not you anymore. So take off those ratty, disgusting, tattered, sin-stained garments and put on the new threads. Put on your new Jesus clothes. So what, what do these Jesus clothes look like? What does new life in Jesus look like? Well, we're going to pick up our text in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And I'm going to ask that you stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Paul writes, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Does that sting a little bit? That should sting a little bit. Moving on, verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I wish I could camp out on that verse and preach. That is so good. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here it is. Here's where we're going to camp out. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Honestly, this could be a bottom line of the Bible like we did this summer. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You guys can be seated. If you look at verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ. Now, this is a phrase that is only used in the entire Bible one time, and it's right here. Not word of God, not word of truth, although those are applicable and used over and over, and that's what the Bible is, but the word of Christ. Now, look at this. One of those words, let's go back to grammar a little bit. One of those words is a preposition that we talked about earlier. Which word is it? Of. So you have the noun, word, and another noun, Christ, And they're in in relation to one another with a preposition of. So does the word of Christ mean the teachings from Christ, which at that time were not yet assembled into the New Testament as we know it, but they were widely circulating? Maybe. Does the word of Christ mean the word about Christ, that is the gospel? Perhaps. Probably. Probably. Is the word of Christ referring to the word of God, the scriptures? 
I mean, the Bible is clearly about Jesus. We see in Luke 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he encounters a couple of his disciples, and he tells them, basically, the entire Old Testament points to him. So the Old Testament pointed forward to his revelation as the center of history, and the New Testament showcases him and looks ahead to the culmination of his coronation. So is the word of Christ referring to the word of God? Likely. Or how about D, all of the above? Regardless of how you split hairs here, this family, this church family is the word of Christ. This Bible And the Bible is incredibly self-referential. It refers to itself all the time. Old Testament, New Testament, we we see the Bible referring to itself. Numerous verses use symbols to describe what this is. Things like a sword. The Bible is a sword. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow. Or Ephesians 6, the spirit. The sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, it says. So it's a sword. It's also uh, light. Psalm 119, 105. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Flashlight shining in the darkness, illuminating the way that we should go. It's a sword. It's a light. But I want us to look at one in particular. The word is food. The word is nourishment. The word of God is food. It's nourishment. We think about Jesus is in the wilderness in Matthew 4. He's being tempted by the devil. And Satan says, hey, see those stones over there? Prove yourself to be God. Show off your power and turn these stones into bread. And how does Jesus respond? He responds with the word of God. He quotes a verse from Deuteronomy and he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. So the word of God is like bread. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says the word of God is like milk. And then in Hebrews 5, the author of Hebrews says the word of God is like meat. In Proverbs 16, Psalm 119, and Ezekiel 3, it says, Your words, O Lord, are sweet to my lips like honey. So the word is like honey. It's like bread. It's like milk. It's like meat. It's like honey. The word of God is food. It is nourishment to our soul. When I meet with someone who is going through spiritual stagnancy. And by the way, if that's you, please uh, let me know or let Pastor Bill know. And I'm serious, we would love to meet with you. But when I meet with someone who is going through spiritual stagnancy, one of my first questions is, okay, well, tell me about your time with the Lord in, in, in his word. How has that been? Like, what's that been like? How's that been going? Oh, um, yeah, I... Hmm. I haven't really been reading my Bible. I, I, I haven't done, I just, I've been so busy. I don't really get into God's word very much. If you were to go to the doctor, you say, oh, doc, my stomach hurts so much. I just feel so weak. I feel drained. I have no energy. She's going to ask you, okay, well, tell me about your diet. What, what kind of things have you been eating? Oh, yeah, I don't really do that anymore. I, I've just been so busy. Uh, I, don't, I don't really eat much or, or at all anymore. She's going to say, okay, I think I might have a diagnosis. Now, please hear me. My aim is not to shame. What I'm about to say, I say with all the love and concern that this shepherd's heart could possibly 
muster, but I am greatly concerned when I hear about how people have squeezed the Word of God out of their lives. They're too busy. Listen, now there's grace here. We all have days, sometimes weeks, where we go without opening up God's Word. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. There is grace in this. These are habits of grace. You'll have some days, maybe even weeks, where you don't even crack open God's Word. It happens. I get it. There is grace when we have those times with little to no biblical intake. But if that's an ongoing condition, something is amiss. Do a heart check. We would never go days or certainly weeks without eating unless there was something wrong, unless we were ill or we had a disorder. Do a heart check. Because until we see that the Word of God is as valuable and vital and nourishing to our souls as food is to the body, we will never reach our fullest potential in Christ. You will not grow in Him. Every pastor has their little cliches, right? You know, little phrases that we say all the time. I'm sure Pastor Steve has some cliches, some things he says all the time. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, well, anyway, you can tell me some afterwards. Uh, we all have them. Uh, oblatunity, there we go. You know, he talks about the oblatunity that we have to live with the Lord. Uh, I have a lot of these. You can call them Jaredisms, if you will. Here's one I see a lot. People will always do what they value. Right? They will always, people will always, I, you, we always do what we value. The converse is true as well. Sometimes we don't do what we don't value. We naturally, because of path of least resistance, we want to do what we value. And so when someone says, I don't, I don't have time to dig into God's word, what they might be saying what they might mean is, I won't make time because it's just not that important to me. We need to value God's word because we value God and we want to know him more. See, there's something inherently powerful. Look at this verse again. Something poignant in the phrase, word of Christ. Now, don't miss it. Word implies communication. It implies self-expression. God speaks to us. Okay, this would have been a great time for an amen. So let's, let's try it again. Ready? God speaks to us from his word. This is God speaking to us. That's another cliche that Steve does. He does this. I'm going to do this. God speaks to us. This is evidence of that. The Bible is God's special revelation of himself to us, and as such, it is a wellspring of life. It's a source of life. If Jesus is the bread of life, and this is like bread, this is our source of life through him. It's the word of Christ. And many see reading God's word as a drudgery, but it's not. There's joy and delight in the exercise of digging into God's word, especially when you know that it's a means to an end. There's a great book the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Any of you read that? So good. If you haven't, I encourage you to read it. Uh, he says it this way. He says, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men and women to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, that they may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Mm. Let the word of Christ nourish your soul. Paul uses the word dwell. So the word of Christ dwells. Let it dwell in you. 
So many passages talk about us dwelling in God, us dwelling with God, but this says that the word of Christ dwells in us. Whenever someone moves in to your dwelling place, you can always tell. You can always tell someone else dwells there. Like, well, let's, let's think to our bachelor and bachelorette days, right? I remember when I was in college, I lived with three other guys in an apartment, and I mean, I had, a, I had sports jerseys on the walls. I had movie posters. We, <laughs> we had a life-size cutout of Arnold Schwarzenegger dressed as the Terminator that we would wrap up in Christmas lights every Christmas. I don't know why. We were college bachelors. It was dumb, but it is what it is. We had boxes of cereal. We loved cereal, all four of us, and we would try different cereals throughout the year. And you know, after we'd finish a, a, a box of cereal, this is stupid, but we would tack up that box of cereal onto the wall. And so by the end of the school year, we had dozens and dozens and dozens of boxes of cereal on the wall, and people would come over and be like, what in the world? I don't know. I don't know. We're stupid college kids. But when I got married, <laughs> a couple days ago, I was leaving the house, and I look up right next to the garage door, and in glitter, there's a pumpkin with this, and it says, Pumpkin is the spice of life. <laughs> I didn't put that there. <laughs> Thanks, Hobby Lobby. <laughs> but that's how you know there's a woman who lives there. My wife lives there. You add another person to your dwelling place who dwells with you, and things change, usually drastically. I like the paraphrase, the message paraphrase. It says, let the word of Christ have the run of your house. Ooh, that's good. When the word of Christ dwells in you, you are not the same. So through his word, he begins to change you. He takes ownership. You can cry out to the Lord, Lord, mi casa su casa. Fill me with your word and just flat out take over. Now, what's another word for dwell? We said earlier, abide. A dwelling place can also be called an abode. You know, welcome to my humble abode. Growth inherently involves change. Things that grow logically are changing. And when we abide in Jesus by grace, we bear fruit in Jesus, which means we are inherently changing. He's changing us from the inside out, and we become more like Jesus with Jesus in us, becoming like Jesus because the word of Jesus is in us. There's a difference between a temporary guest visiting and a permanent resident. Some of you rent out to others. Maybe some of you rent from someone else. And, you know, there are good renters, there are bad renters, but think of a, a bad renter. A bad renter could care less about where they're living, about the property. They don't take care of the property, but an owner who lives there deeply cares. One is transitory, the other is permanent. So does your Bible have a home address in your heart? How much does God's word take up residence in your heart and in your mind? Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Now, that word you in the Greek is not singular. It's plural. So if we lived in the South, we might say, let the word of Christ dwell in. Yeah. Oh, you guys even tried to say that with a drawl. That was, that was nice. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all in us, in, right here in the church. This admonition is addressed to the church, not just to individuals. So biblical intake is not merely a solo act. Digging into God's word is a community practice. And when we prepare our hearts for the word of Christ to dwell in us, we're bound to miss a spot. Those of you who do home renovations 
or uh, maybe you watch home renovation on TV. Uh, on in the first service, I called it H and G TV. I don't H H G TV. You can tell I don't watch it. Uh, but you know, you're familiar with home renovations. We we live in a house that was flipped. You know, we moved in there about four years ago, and the previous owner flipped it. They did a mostly great job, but they missed a spot here and there, whether on purpose or accident. I don't know. But, you know, there's some spots where, okay, they could have done better with a drywall here. They're, you're bound to miss a spot. That's why we need the Holy Spirit through the Holy Word to cleanse us, to purify us, to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus from the inside out. And we need each other to do some internal renovation. Look again at the verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, biblical wisdom. Now, we talked about a preposition word. This is actually called a prepositional phrase because it modifies the verb dwell. So how do we dwell or let the word of Christ dwell in us? By teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What do we do when the word dwells in us? We teach and admonish. That means challenge each other in the wisdom of God's word. Turn to 2 Timothy. It's a few, ver- a few books later. 2 Timothy, this is another letter that Paul wrote to who? Timothy. And in verse 2, let me just read this. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience, complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. We need to speak the word of God into each other's lives. We need to direct one another to biblical truths to support and encourage our fellow brother or sister in Christ. We need each other. We need God's word. Let's put those together. And this helps us to stay grounded in God's unchanging truth. I mean, think about how much has changed in the last 20 years of our society. I mean, we have more computing power right here in our phones than the first space shuttle that landed the first astronauts on the moon in 1969. Do you guys realize that? More computing power here in your pockets than the entire thing that NASA built 50 years ago. I mean, that's phenomenal. Technologically, our world is changing. You think about social media. Social media, right or wrong, has completely revolutionized the paradigm for how we as a society connect and invest and socialize and spend time with one another. Facebook was invented 2002, 2003, so almost exactly 20 years ago, and look how much has changed. 9-11, we had the 20th anniversary last weekend, and since 9-11, security measures and travel were never and will never be the same. And we would be naive to think that a global pandemic that shut our world down for months won't change things as well. Not to mention that we live in a postmodern world that is trying to indoctrinate everyone Uh, shove this idea down our throats, this notion that all truth is relative. Oh, whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. Do what's right in your own eyes. There is no absolute truth. You know, just whatever feels best. 
And yet we know one who is unchanging. He is not flighty. He's not fluid. He's not fickle. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever and tomorrow. Oh, how good. How good it is to know that the word of God never changes. Truth is permanent. Truth is absolute. And it's right here in the Bible. So drink up. Eat up. That means we could put down roots here and drink deeply from the nourishing living water. That means that we can build our life upon this because it is never moving. If you've ever built a house, you know you don't want a fickle, fluid foundation. You want a steadfast, rock-solid, immovable one. This is rock-solid because God is rock-solid. This means that this can be the anchor of our lives when the storms of life inevitably come, when the waves and turbulence of difficulty crash down around us, this can be our anchor. Do you know why the Word of God makes such a great foundation? Because He makes a great foundation. Because He's immovable. He's unchanging. He is our rock. So we need the Word of God, and we need each other, not just hanging out and playing games. I love playing games. And we'll do events where we, you know, entertain and play games. But if we're just doing that, we're wasting our time. We need each other. We need one another in the community of faith, the church, the family of God, to speak the language of the Bible into each other's lives. Make this your language with one another. The word of Christ is what holds the key to life in Christ. So, let the word of Christ dwell in you. But not just dwell in you. What does it say? richly, abundantly, deeply, overwhelmingly. I like the word saturated. You know, if a weather, weather person says, our, our weather today is going to be really humid because the air is saturated with moisture, it's full of moisture, it's filled with moisture. When you're saturated with something, you're filled with that. You might use the word immersed. That's another good word. You're immersed in something. You're dunked into, you're, you're entrenched in something. It's completely covering you. Or there's another word, steeped. You know, I think, how many of you drink tea? Okay, several of you. When a tea bag, what's it called? Steeps? What, what are you doing here? Well, you, you take the tea bags and you soaking them, immerse them in the water. Now, I am very impatient. <laughs> so you could just leave this out in the sun. Uh, you could just leave it. But I like to agitate it. I like to, you know... Come on, get this, get this thing going. I'm impatient. And I like a lot of flavor. The more you do this, the more you leave it in, the more you agitate it, the more flavor you're going to have. The darker, richer it's going to be. I don't like things with very little flavor. That's why I don't like LaCroix, as you know. So, <laughs> so here, as I'm doing this, what's going on? Well, the water is permeating the tea bags. Now, the tea leaves are actually not leaving. Some of them do. But the water rushes in, rushes out, rushes in, rushes out, rushes in, rushes out. And every time the water rushes in, it takes properties of the tea leaves with it, flavoring the tea, permeating the tea, so that it becomes tea. Water turns into tea. Now, I know this is not exactly water turning into wine, <laughs> but it's still pretty cool. Do you realize that, interesting enough, the word steep can be used to mean strongly influence someone? as in steeped in tradition, like, oh man, that, that, that person is steeped in tradition, meaning that he or she is 
impacted by tradition. They live according to that tradition. They're all about that tradition. They're steeped in it. So that tradition heavily influences or impacts them. Water becomes tea as the tea bag influences and changes the water to become something else. And the word of Christ in us causes us to have the flavor of Christ. You ever been around someone that was so saturated by the word of God, the word of Christ, that you felt like you, you, felt like you were in the presence of Christ himself? I mean, they are so with Jesus in his word that they are Christ-like, they're like Jesus. I wonder if that's how Peter and John were. You know, we see in Acts 4, they're standing before the Jewish leaders, and they're preaching Jesus. Jesus had already died, buried, rose again, ascended to the Father, and they're saying, stop preaching in his name, and they can't because they love Jesus so much. And it says that they looked upon him, the, they looked upon them, the Jewish leaders, and they saw that they had been with Jesus. Do you know How? Because they had been with Jesus. They were flavored with Jesus, saturated by the word of Christ. And this doesn't just happen. There is no Bible osmosis. I can't just like <laughs> soak it into my brain. I wish I could. It doesn't work that way. There is no Bible osmosis. You can't just lay on the pages and absorb. There, this takes grace-infused, spirit-empowered effort. So how is your life flavored by scripture? Because here's the thing. Your mind and heart are steeped in something. They're influenced by something. They're immersed in something, either steeped in what the world proclaims or what the word of Christ proclaims. So do you have the flavor of the world or the flavor of God? Main idea, here it is. This is the bottom line. Let his word be steeped in your minds and hearts to have the flavor of Christ. We have so many channels of biblical intake, so many access points to God's word. Think about all the access points to God's word that you have in your life. Use them. Leverage them. Use them every day. I'd encourage you to turn on all your Bible faucets, if you will. Turn, on, turn them all on and just drink up deeply, richly from his word. Daily time in his word. Get a Bible reading plan. If you don't have one, uh, let me know, and I'll send you several. You can download the Bible app, version, which is phenomenal, Y-O-U version. Several Bible reading plans there. Get in Bible studies with other people. It's good to study God's Word together. Listen to God's Word. Maybe podcasts, maybe sermons at church, maybe an audio Bible. Memorize a verse every week or every month even to just soak in God's Word in your heart, to, to let it flavor your heart Think about one distinct biblical truth each day that you read from his word in the morning and let that tea bag of truth saturate your mind. Now more on this next week. We're going to talk about next week how to practically let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we do this, both individually and communally, as well as how to apply it, how to live it out. But here's the thing. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. So if Jesus is in your focus, if he's right there, if you're staring at him, you're looking at him through the word of Christ, through the Bible, he's not in your periphery, he's straight up in your focus. Let, uh, let our eyes fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned at shame, and sat down at his right hand. If you just behold Jesus and see Jesus and savor Jesus through his word, you're going to become like Jesus. Because you become what you behold. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And here, let's finish out the verse with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in grace, singing in your hearts to God.